All right. I think you've had enough fun. Thank you for getting back to your seats. Come on. <laughs> so Nick told you already that we're changing gears, that we're moving to make room like we've been talking about, but now we're making room for the sun. So, Emery, I don't know if you remembered to push record back there. I know one guy got in trouble back there who was trying to do everything at once, so I just want to let you, remind you of that. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, to chapter 3. And as we talk about Christmas, I've already started seeing the commercials on Christmas. I watched a little football the last few days, uh, and I started noticing one that I felt like I was walking by when it was on, and I was just totally offended. And then I went back and listened to it again, and I'm only partially offended, all right? But, but I am offended, uh, not just because it's a Bud Light commercial, but because uh, it's talking about bringing gifts to the guy. I guess he's supposed to be a king, and, and there's a play on words. They said, uh, what is Christmas? And said, oh, it's just, a, just an excuse for him to get more Bud Light. And I thought, Wow, you know, I mean, you hear all kinds of things that, that confuse people on the meaning of Christmas, Christmas. But I thought, I'm so offended, I think I'm going to bring it up Sunday morning, and then I decided I wouldn't, and then I already have. So anyway, you know, you're going to see all kinds of commercials, but you're going to see some that are just extremely emotional. I don't know if you saw the one for Apple where the kids have the iPad, I don't know if it's just on the uh, football games because that's all I've been watching the last few days. But there was just an extremely emotional commercial of kids that went to grandparents' house and grandma died and they took the iPad and made a little uh, gift for the grandfather and it was a little self-made slideshow movie-like. And if you can watch that and not cry, you've got a hard heart, Okay. I mean, it was just so emotional. And, you know, when you think about ridiculous and silly and emotional, all of those things are going into what we're beginning now in Christmas. And with those emotions, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of disappointment. There's loneliness and depression. As you think about who you're going to be with, or who you're not going to be with. And all of those things are under the current of what we call the Christmas season. Now, with those emotions are traditions. Some that you have that you're probably going to keep. Some that maybe it's time for you to do something different. And it's fun for me to watch the young families as they're trying to figure out what to do. I remember the days of the complications of how do you go to so many parents in such a small amount of time, you know, and, and how do you get all those things worked in. And Christmas, how do we make room to worship the Lord? 
In the next four weeks, we're going to take time to look at what was going on and see if we can get down below the surface to not just talk about the events that might would be in a Christmas play, but to talk about what was going on in the heart of God when he sent his son. And if you've seen the Christmas play, you've seen the children acting it out, and there's always that uh, time that someone gets to play the innkeeper, and, and the kids come up, and there's that no room in the inn, and how many pastors have made entire series on no room in your heart for Christmas? This time we're going to see if we can make room in our hearts for what really was going on when God sent his son. So we're going to open God's word together. Today we're going to start it, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me now that God would be our teacher. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us now. We pray that you would speak to us about your intent and your plan when you sent your son to planet Earth. Help us to roll up the sleeves of our mind to prepare our hearts and mind to see the truth about who Jesus is. And Lord, when we do, may we be willing to come and adore him, the one who is the Christ, the one who is our Lord. For it's in his name that we pray together. Amen. Did you know that the promise of the coming of Jesus starts in the book of Genesis? You remember chapter 1 of it, Genesis when God created it and it comes to the end in chapter 1 and it says, all things were good. He looked at it and said, it's all good. It's very good. And the Lord rested on the seventh day as chapter 2 begins. Then in chapter 2, he goes over again in detail what it was like when he created man and woman. And God's created order is something that we are not to take lightly, understanding that not only in the world do we see his creation, but looking into the faces of each other, we see God establishing creation that would honor him. And as chapter 2 unfolds, it, it comes to an end explaining why we are living together as man and woman. And chapter 3 begins with something very bad happening. 1 and 2, it's been good. It's been very good. And then in chapter 3, it begins, if your Bibles are open, it says, The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say from any tree you can eat in the garden, but you can't eat of this one? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Well, that's not exactly what God said, but that's a different sermon, all right? So then in, in verse four, it says, serpent responded to the woman, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable and for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves out of the fig leaves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord. They hid among the trees in the garden. So the Lord called out to them, where are you? Can I just pause and say, like he didn't know, all right? But he was inviting them to come and have a conversation with him. And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And so he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then some pretty classic responses. The man replied, the woman you gave with me, she made me eat from the tree. And the Lord asked the woman, what is this you've done? And she said, it was the serpent who deceived me and I ate. So you know the scene when the evil one coming in the serpent to tempt them and for them denying God's rightful place to rule and denying his word, they sinned and this is known as the fall in the garden, the fall from God's perfect created order. But then in verse 14, we're about to read how God in responding in judgment to their sin makes a promise to send his son. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are more cursed than any livestock, more than any wild animal, and you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put hostility between you and the woman. Let's just stop right there. I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman. That word there is a a pretty intense word that describes enmity. It describes hatred. And so we have not only seen sin come into the world by what happened to Adam and Eve, but now we're beginning to see hatred and all kinds of evil coming into the world. And God said to the evil one, now by now you may be asking, so where did he come from? Can I... Can I get by with just saying that's another sermon, okay? Uh, You can read and you can find in the scripture about the origin of, of the evil one. You can read Isaiah 14. You can read Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, uh, one theologian said it this way. Satan had previously fallen out of heaven. He was a covering cherub. He was the director of the heavenly choir. He was one of the holy angels. He desired to be equal with God who elevated himself accordingly. And he wanted to be above God, to be adored and worshiped just like God is. And so God cast him out of heaven along with a third of the angels. And they constitute the demon forces that pervade their corrupt evil against God and all of his divine purposes and against men. So the devil comes, we not really knowing in detail his origin, but he comes and he comes to the man and woman and he tempts them. And then God says to him, Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. So we see the introduction of hatred and conflict. We see that it's not just about people not liking snakes. Now, there may be some of you in here today that like snakes. I've met a few people like that, but I'm not one of them, all right? I, I like uh, one kind of snake, the one I can't see. I mean, I don't like them living. I don't like them dead. Uh, I remember one day, KK, can I tell the story on you? Uh, I, I remember one day we had just moved into our house in North Carolina, 
And there was a snake, and the guy had come over to do some work for us, and he went and found a hoe, and he chopped off its head. And, uh, and so KK was standing there talking to him, and he reminded her of our son, and so he was picking at KK, and she was talking to him. And he said, uh, you do know that, that where there's one snake like that, there's a nest, and there's a lot of them, you know? And KK said he just reminded her so much of her brother and her son that just instinctively she turned and kicked him right in the seat of the pants. And then he said, oh, no, I've been abused by the pastor's wife, you know. And so then he kept on, and to this day he teases her about snakes at the house. I don't like snakes either. But the judgment that God put on the snake was not just a judgment of an animal. By the way, when you see that animal, it is representative of evil, reminding us, remember what happened in the wilderness wandering? When they were out and they were rebelling against the Lord and the Lord sent poisonous snakes to bite them. And Moses went and cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, you can't let us all die out here in the wilderness. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, here's what you do. You make a serpent out of bronze and you put it on a pole and you raise it up in the center of the camp. And anyone that gets bitten by a snake, you drag them and let them look at that bronze serpent in the middle of the camp. And when they look, they will live. Do you have spiritual ears to hear what God was even teaching them at that point about sin and the payment of sin? You probably know well John 3.16. But if you go read John 3 carefully, you'll see Jesus said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So when Christ died on the cross, he was being lifted up in the center of the camp. So we who had been bitten by the snake of sin and poison and death might look to the one who knew no sin and became sin for us. The picture of the evil one and what God was doing. But that's not the purpose of me having you turn to Genesis 3 to see what God said to the serpent. Instead, I want you to look and see what happens next. Genesis 3 verse 15, I will put hostility between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Do you know what God just said to the evil one? When he responded to him and he said, here's what's going to happen. Your seed and the seed of woman, I'm going to send one that you will strike his heel, but he will strike your head. Throughout church history, pastors and theological teachers have called this, you don't have to remember the word, but I, I think you'll hear the meaning when I say the word, proto-evangelium. You say, well, I was really blessed by that, all right? Evangelism, proto being first. This is the first announcement of the gospel. This is the first announcement of the good news. 
When God said, and he spoke it to the devil to put him on notice, I'm going to send my son and you will strike his heel, but he will strike your head. So what was God saying to them? God was promising to send his son. Now notice he said it's going to be through the woman. I put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. God said he was going to send a son through natural birthing processes. I can't imagine what it must be like to carry a baby inside your body. I remember the first time KK said, quick, put your hand over here and feel. And naturally, the baby quit moving. (laughs) And every time I would try to feel, the baby wouldn't move. And I remember the first time I, looking at her belly, saw this lump move up and move across. And I went, okay, I may not be able to feel it, but I can see it, all right? I can't imagine what Eve must have felt like carrying a baby inside of her, having no mother or mother-in-law or book or internet to explain pregnancy. But God announced that through her, through her seed, he was going to do something and he was going to do something special. Now the birth of this son that was promised was a special birth. He spoke it to Eve. I don't want to make too much out of this, but I need to make enough out of it. Because God declared to Isaiah, quoted again by Matthew, that he was going to send his son through virgin birth. That a woman was going to conceive. A woman that had not been with a man. A virgin would conceive and bear a son. And he would become the only begotten son of God. We read in the book of Galatians that God sent forth his son born of a woman. And so if you women get tired of hearing the male pronoun, uh, when I say mankind, I'm including men and women, okay? But if you get tired of the male pronoun, here I want you to hear the promise to the woman. You are going to bear in your seed one that will be the Messiah, the one that will have his heel struck, but he will be the one who stands on the head of the evil one. Notice the two part at the end of verse 15. He will strike your head. Speaking of the Messiah will be the conquering one to take rule by putting your foot on the head to take rule over evil. And yes, the devil will bruise his heel. He will stand on his head. That's an incredible thing of conquering, but it will cost the bruising of his heel. Jesus is the conquering Messiah. He is the one promised who would come and take over again from sinful man and the forces of evil 
to be the rightful ruling king of the universe. Paul writes it in Colossians this way. Listen to what he says in Colossians 2. He canceled the record of your debt that stood against you. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. God promised that he would use the seed of Eve to restore his universe. It's interesting, right here at the beginning of creation, God is establishing that he is a God of grace. He could have judged them right there on the spot. He's holy. He could have wiped them out and said, like an etch-a-sketch, you know, let's just, let's turn this thing over and let's draw another one. But he demonstrated in his kindness and in his mercy that he had a plan that he would send his son and at the cross he would be justice and grace he would be holiness and mercy he would be the just and the justifier that he would be the one that would be bruised do you remember the way the prophet said it he will be bruised for our iniquities Jesus paid the price of mine, your sin. And this is the first declaration that God would send his son. So let's look at what we've just read together. God promised to send a savior. God promised a special birth. God promised a son who would conquer. But then what happens next? Pictures the salvation covering that only God could give. After he pronounces the curse, it comes down in verse 20 of Genesis 3. Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And you know, some have pointed out that Eve didn't know when this promise was going to happen. And so she wrongly attributed the birth of Cain to the birth of the Messiah. When she said in chapter 4, I have a male child that the Lord has given me, but it was not the one that God had promised. But I digress. All right, let's go back to verse 22. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Have you ever thought about why it had to be done that way? What a classic picture of humanity and deity. Adam and Eve took fig leaves and tried to make a covering for their nakedness. But God said, no, that does not cover. And the scripture simply says that he made covering for them from the skins of an animal. Some have tried to picture what might be going on just in that one verse. I think it's reasonable to stop and think about. Adam and Eve had never seen death. They'd never seen something living that died. And God required the death of those animals, the shedding of blood, probably in their presence, as he made for them covering from the animals. 
And we're reminded that the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Today, we're reminded that when God sent his son, he didn't just send him to be a cute baby in a manger. He sent him to fulfill destiny to die on a cross. He was the unique, only begotten, one of a kind who could take our sin because he had none of his own. And the Bible says that that was the covering that we needed for our sin. And so now here we see an incredible picture of salvation here in the book of Genesis when God says, no, your fig leaves won't do. You have to let me cover it through the death of an animal. This morning, I want you to know that some of you may be under the weight of your sin and the guilt of your sin, and you wonder, what have I got to do to pay God back? What would I have to do? How much good would I have to do? Can I tell you, you might as well give that up because there's not enough good we can do. The Bible says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag in the sight of God. And none of us could ever make up for a single sin that we've done. You say, well, I don't sin that much. Let's just say, okay, so let's just say you sin maybe maybe uh, 10 times a week, okay? And let's just say 10 times a week, and they're 52 weeks, so that's, let's just round that to maybe 500, okay? And then let's say you live to, didn't sin that much before you were 10, so let's round it up, all right? Let's say you live to 70. I mean, do the math. I'm not going to try, okay? But just do the math. You see how it piles up? We could never do enough good to pay God back for our sin. So right here in the beginning, he illustrates for us that he rejects our covering. And he gives us a covering that only he can provide. This morning, are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? Have you been to the cross and ask God to forgive you? Have you made room in your heart to see the promised one? All the way back to the beginning, God promised he would send one, though the evil one would be able to bruise his heel. He would, through conquering sin and death and hell, stand on the evil one's head and be the rightful ruler of the universe is he the rightful ruler of your heart today listening to the scripture as far as i can tell there's only one way for us to respond and that is to come and worship him you sang it earlier oh come let us adore him in the last few years I've started a new tradition of my own at our house. I like to get up early. No one else in my house really does. I don't wake up good without a cup of coffee. But I get the coffee and I stumble across the living room and I really like that I don't have to look how to plug in the tree. That I can just find a little thing to step on, you know, and the lights come on. And then I can just sit there quietly in the chair and reflect on what we're doing and why he came. Can I challenge you to find a quiet place? You say, 
I was talking one day, and one of our mothers of four children was just going, no, no, you know. Yes, you can. They sleep sometime, all right? So just find a place early or late and sit and hear the chorus. Oh, come, let us adore him. The one who was promised even in the beginning to be born of a woman uniquely the conquering son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and what it teaches us about the Lord Jesus, that his coming to earth was not an afterthought, but that his coming was something that you planned even from the beginning of time. So Lord, today, as we wait quietly before you, would you help us to focus and adore the one who gave himself for us? So we look back and we see the picture in the garden and we don't blame Adam and Eve for their sin. For we know all of us as sinners by nature and by choice. We've all chosen at some point to reject your word and to not acknowledge you as the creator and sustainer of our life. And we thank you that from the beginning you had a plan to send us a savior. So now we quiet our hearts and we think of the promised one who came to have his heel bruised and today stands on the head of evil as the conquering ruler of the universe. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ would you look this way we're going to stand and in a moment we'll be singing a great old hymn but while we do that, this is the first Sunday in the month. And as is our custom, we invite you to come and take from the Lord's table. Now, you may be a guest and say, okay, how does this work? Well, we're not going to pass it to you. You're going to have to come after it, all right? And we're not going to decide who should come because that's between you and God. If today you are a follower of Christ we invite you to participate in this worship. If you have never given your heart to Christ, if you don't know him as your savior, no one's gonna point you out because we're not gonna come row by row. You just stand there and sing while others come to worship. And let's remember what we're doing. 
God sent his son and his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And if you know him, this is the way you give thanks and remember him. So I'm going to ask you to stand, all standing. And whenever you're ready, if you need to come and pray with me, I'll be glad to pray with you. If you need to kneel before you come to the Lord's table, that's between you and God, what it takes to prepare you for this moment of worship. But we're just going to wait quietly before the Lord, and I hope some are ready to get us started and would come by now and take the cup, take the bread, and worship the way he told us to remember him. Lord, we thank you that your body was broken and your blood was shed. And we do what you told us to do. We do this to remember you. Whenever you're ready, come and worship him.